What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your premier resource for everything Ohio State news and athletics. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on September 20th, 2017 from Boulder, Colorado. It is Wednesday. Glad to have you guys listen to the show. Before we get started, want to make sure you guys know where to find the show, so be sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash land grant holy land you can also find us on apple podcast by searching the hangout in the holy land subscribe leave a review find all the old shows there and of course don't forget to go to landgrantholyland.com and follow us on twitter at landgrant33 today we are going to break down ohio state's fourth game of the season and that's against the unlv running rebels and to do that i am joined by the college manager for SB Nation, my buddy and land-grant contributor, Matt Brown. Matt, always uh, nice to talk about Ohio State after a win instead of last week after a loss, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot more fun, and it's always good to talk about Ohio State, period, with you. I mean, like th- this was, this was uh, you know, it's difficult to peel me away from NBA 2K at this point or from uh, my actual work. Um, but I think so highly of this product that I'm going to actually step away from for both those things here for a minute to break down what we saw and what 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 is what is coming ahead because I, I, the next couple of weeks don't seem on paper as as interesting of games maybe as as what we saw at the beginning of the year. I, I think too that in Ohio State's case, we're going to learn a lot in these next couple of weeks, even despite the opponents being. You know, not, I would say, middle of the season, Big Big Ten quality opponents like they're going to see later on with Iowa, with Penn State, with Michigan at the end of the year. I still think these next couple of games provide some good opportunities for us to find out where this team is going to be by that time. Yeah, so so that that's that's fair. the The entire work product. I mean, not not work product. The, the entire game itself may not necessarily be the most interesting for all four quarters, and and if it is, especially this weekend, God help all of us. Um, but but you're right. There there are things that we can glean and some insights to be had here. I guess let's go ahead and just jump right into it, right? Because this is a, the our opponent this the opponent this weekend. UNLV is a team Ohio State's never played, and I think it is entirely possible that a good chunk of our listenership has literally never watched a UNLV football game ever. I think in, in my in my life, I think I've watched maybe three. It's it's a team that's consistently not very good and often plays at night or in weird time slots, and there hasn't been a super compelling reason to make UNLV football appointment television if you live in the East or Central time zones. Well, if you have heard of UNLV this season, it's probably because they lost to Howard in the first game of the year, and it was the biggest point spread upset in college football history. Howard, I want to say, was 600 to 1, had 600 to 1 odds of winning that game. So, biggest point spread upset in college football history. They lost that game 43 to 40. They won their second game of the season against Idaho 44 to 16. And you know how you said before the season when we did our preview podcast that any team that loses to Kansas should be immediately disqualified from being in the preseason top 25. I feel like that should apply to any team that loses to a Mike London head coach team. You should have to go down to FCS for a season. So UNLV, you're you're gone. You're down for a year. I don't disagree. I and it's look teams lose to FCS squads, uh, especially if you're you know in the, the bottom forty 
college football teams in terms of like talent acquisition or something. Like if UNLV plays a good FCS team every year, they're going to lose occasionally. Um, Howard, you know, is not one of those teams. And it's clear that they've improved a lot. They gave Kent State everything that they could handle. But uh, it's like that, that's been one of the worst HBCUs for a long time. So, you know, that it's it, looking at the box score and looking at some of the highlights, it seems like UNLV was a little bit unlucky to lose that game. They, they probably outplayed Howard through most of it. But still, like that, you know, there's. It's it's not excusable. They were forty something point favorites here for for a reason. That and and you know, looking at the rest of their schedule, it's really unfortunate if you happen to be emotionally invested in UNLV football because that might be the game that takes them out of, of contention, which is something that they need pretty badly. UNLV right now ranks one hundred fourth in S and P plus, fifty sixth in defensive S and P plus. And a phrase that gets thrown around a lot is the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think that this UNLV team is the complete opposite because they have some really nice players, especially on offense, but the whole is pretty terrible and the, and the sum of everything is bad. But starting offensively for them, redshirt freshman quarterback Armani Rogers is a kid that came in with a ton of hype. There were comparisons to Cam Newton before the start of the season. And like, you can take that with a massive block of salt, but the fact remains is that he's a very exciting player. He's played well in the first two games of the season. He's averaging over 11 yards per attempt. And for a freshman, I think that UNLV definitely has an eye towards the future with how he's played. And then there's junior running back Lexington Thomas, who's off to a hell of a start. He has over 341 yards rushing and five TDs in his first two games. And he's averaging over nine yards per carry. So it's not like this UNLV team, despite being a bad team, can't do anything. They have a very explosive attack. And I, I think that we can see them at least test Ohio State defensively in a couple of ways. And we'll learn more about what Ohio State's strengths and weaknesses defensively are going forward. Yeah, there's this is not this is not an, an option team, but I think there are a, li- a little bit of similarities from what we saw last week with Army, and that UNLV is definitely a team that wants to run first, run second, and then set up a uh, you know play action pass kind of kind of situations here, and they're they're gonna give the ball to their quarterback, they're gonna give it to multiple running backs, or they're they're gonna use some misdirection. And I think that we saw that Ohio State's linebackers have some room to grow. I think in, in terms of of uh, of, of their awareness and, and tackling in space and and not over no not over committing on some of those plays. Although over the course of the game they, they did much better against Army, but the the I think Ohio State's ability to project their big advantage with the defensive line will be much easier and much more manifest against UNLV than it, it is against like the constant cut blocking uh, of of an Army. Like let, let, let's be clear, UNLV is probably going to be able to move the ball in a couple of drives. They they're they're very efficient running the football right now. Uh, Ohio State has been one of the best teams in the country in in terms of, of stopping non-option <laughs> related running plays. They have superior talent at every level. It's like a thirty-something point line. This should not be competitive. Uh, certainly not going by the end of the you know midway through the third quarter. This this should be a a game that is already decided. So then I think the question is, what are you looking to see? Assume because it seems like I, I would I would think that if Ohio State wins this game by less than three touchdowns, it, it's not really a success. I agree with that, and I think from a defensive perspective, you you mentioned the linebackers and a player that we saw in his first real action last week was linebacker Tuff Borland in in Chris Worley's stead. He looked pretty damn good, and so on an individual basis, he's probably the guy that I'm looking to most to see how he does in 
I, I don't know if he's going to get full game reps. He's listed as an or starter with Worley. We'll see if he's able to play and how much he's able to play with that foot sprain. But I would assume that Tough Borland's going to get a lot of run this week. And I want to see how the, the middle of that defense goes against, like you're saying, a very efficient run game. It's one that hasn't gone backwards in a limited sample. They're fourth in stuff rate. So let's see if Ohio State's defensive line is able to get into the backfield and generate some open space for the linebackers, especially somebody like Borland and Jerome Baker, who I keep mentioning it on these podcasts, like where is Jerome Baker? He is way too good to be this quiet. So I want to see Borland and Baker a lot this week in the opposing backfield. And I think that this is maybe going to be their best performance of the year so far. Man, it's it's funny. I had completely forgotten about Tough Borland as a player on the roster entirely before the before the start of the season. I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that. He, even though he was a he was a four star guy, but certainly didn't have the uh, hype or reputation compared to some of these other linebackers that that are uh, have been recently added to the program. And it seemed like he might be recruited over or somebody that just participated in special teams. He really was outstanding. And my guess is. He's probably going to see the majority of the snaps against UNLV. I, I don't. I, if Worley's not a hundred hundred percent, there's no reason to rush him back for this game. Um, and and the, you know you could you could bring in Keandre Jones or you could bring in some other guys if you need to you know give other linebackers some some playing time here. Um, so you're right. Like th- that's going to be interesting. And uh, of course the the other elephant in the room uh, outside of that. Uh, defensive tackling in space is going to be the progression of Ohio State's passing game. And I honestly was came away pretty satisfied and pleased with what I saw against Army, even though there weren't a ton of downfield passing throws. Like, for me, I'm, I'm very pragmatic about this kind of thing. Like, I don't really care how Ohio State moves the ball if they move the ball. And clearly, Army was, with, with their, their scheme, um, was was giving Ohio State lots of opportunities to attack horizontally, and that's what they did. They they did that efficiently, and against the UNLV, and quite frankly, against basically everybody on the schedule, other than like four teams, Ohio State's fast enough. Or I think you can do that and break a tackle, and and there's your intermediate passing game. You know, bubble screening somebody to death. It would be nice to see, I think, some more intermediate passing completions. I don't, Ohio State really didn't attempt that many. And, and yeah, it looks like Barrett missed two of them and there was an Austin Mack line uh, route miscommunication. But I you know if, if you see one or two of those that, that, that work to, that were, are su- successfully executed, I think that's a big positive. But I'm more interested in continued efficiency from the passing game rather than necessarily execution on a pass play of, of X number of yards. And Ohio State uh, offense efficiency against Army was their best it's been in like three years. And so if you keep showing performances like that, I'm, I'm happy no matter what happens. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something everybody wants to see. But at this point, we've seen enough of JT Barrett and these receivers to know that like that's even saying that that would be a weakness, I think would be a compliment for them. It's just something that I, I don't think is going to work. And there are other things that we saw last week that suit not only Barrett's skill set, but the wide receiver's skill sets much better in those RPOs, which we saw for really the first time under Urban Meyer, I think is the direction that this offense needs to go for the rest of the season. And it'll be interesting to see how much of a continuation we see from that because we saw a lot of it last week, but we've seen before that they'll dabble offensively in some of these different concepts. 
and then they'll go away for a game. We saw a lot of crossing routes and mesh against Indiana, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing at least as much of it in the Oklahoma game as we saw in week one. So I'll be interested to see how much they stick with that because I think it's their best option in the passing game. And when you have receivers that aren't your true 6-1 or 6-2 threats like Terry McLaurin or K.J. Hill or or Paris Campbell, for that matter, that are going to go over the middle and be guys to jump up and fight for the ball in space, then use their speed, use what they're good at, get them horizontally and all the Ohio state receivers for their flaws. And we saw a couple holding penalties last week. They all know how to block and they're all willing blockers at the very least. So let those guys do what they're good at. And I want to see them hit that really hard again. And for all of JT Barrett's flaws, one thing he's always been great at is making reads. So I think that not only does it suit him that it keeps the ball, you know, within five yards of the line of scrimmage, but he's also good at those reads, so utilize him and the receivers to their strength. Let's see that, and it all comes back to the running game as well. That's what they're the best at, and i like to see J.K. Dobbins get a lot of early touches because that was something that we didn't see against Army, and if they really want to get off to a roll and open up that passing game, then give the ball to your best player. So I have an absolutely thermonuclear question about Mr. Dobbins. What would it take for him to be in the Heisman conversation? And 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 as ridiculous as this may sound right now, let, let's let's actually let's take a look at some at some numbers here, because um, this is a guy that's not getting, um, you know, uh, fifty yards, you know, fifty carries a game. But right now, across the entire country, he is eighth in rushing in rushing yards and r- rushing yards. You know, four four hundred twenty five. It's only on fifty five carries. Most of the guys ahead of him have at least. 70. So you give him 20 more carries, he's right up with Bryce Love and Rashad, your, your top rushing running backs in the country in terms of his um, you know, y- yards per attempt. He's right there in the, in, the, in the top 25 here as well. If he has, you know, the next three games or so are opportunities where he could get a bunch of yards. Like if he's in the top six of rushing yards by mid-October, like it's not crazy to think about that, is it? No, absolutely not. If you go back and look, I, I don't think if they get him the ball seven or eight more times, they beat Oklahoma. But if that happens and they were to win that game, I think he would be in that conversation. And we've seen kind of the paradigm shift in the Heisman talk since Johnny Manziel and maybe even before with Tim Tebow, where if you're a freshman or sophomore and you're putting up big numbers, especially for a blue blood, and I know that you've done research on this, you're going to be put into the spotlight. The one thing that I think, though, is it may take a little bit, as you're saying, because he'll probably put up good numbers against UNLV. He'll put up good numbers against Rutgers in Maryland and probably Nebraska, too. But where we'll really see whether that has any legitimacy and legs is against Penn State. And if they beat Penn State and he has a huge game, then I think you see him vault into that conversation. But the way he's going right now, you know, I don't think that it's – it's certainly not unreasonable – unreasonable to say that he's going to be in that top 10 discussion by the end of the year the only thing that's really going to hold him back though I think is how many carries is he going to get once conference play comes around are they going to shift their backfield to being more of a balance between him and Mike Weber I just don't see him getting even the amount of touches that somebody like Saquon Barkley does. So he may not have the sheer numbers at the end of the year, but I think on a per play basis, he's definitely going to have a case to be one of the best running backs in the country. 
the the question about carries I think is a really good one, and I, I really don't know what's going to happen with Weber at this point. If, I mean, I don't know what his health situation is like going into UNLV. This would be a very good week to to feed him the ball more than two or three times. You know, if he's healthy, he deserves that. Um, but if he's not, by like you know by 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 Rutgers week or by Maryland week, do you do you do you just shut him down? You know, or is, you put him in there as a decoy or something? It seems almost not fair to him. It's a it's a it's a tough thing to have. For my research on this, um, basically, if you're, the, if you're the best offensive player on a team that's in the top ten, you are going to be close to the Heisman conversation. I think if Ohio State makes the college football playoff uh, and Dobbins is, you know, rushes for 13, 1400 yards, which is, is very possible at this point, yeah, it, he could go to New York. Um, being able to continue to put up superlative numbers against kind of inferior competition, unfortunately, is is part of it. And then you don't necessarily have to go for 130 against Penn State. You can go for 80 and catch for 20 yards. And if you win the game, you'll you'll still be in there. You don't necessarily have to have that moment. But it's it's you know there's been three games, but it's not crazy to to actually begin to talk about this a little bit. No, it's not at all. And I think you'll see a lot of that against UNLV. Like I said. They rank 126th in defensive S&P+, and teams have not been shy at running the ball on them no matter what the situation is this year, and that's small sample. They've only played two games, but I would like to see from Ohio State's perspective them be a little more run-happy on early downs. Right now they're 82nd in standard downs run rate, and I get working on the passing game early in the season, but do what you're best at, run the ball, and as of right now, he's their best player. So I think early and often against UNLV, I'd like to see Dobbins get those carries. And we saw against Army, I don't think the offense was slogging by any means, but that drive where it was two plays, 74 yards, you see that he he is really a kick in the ass for this team and a real burst of energy for an offense that's been searching for a big play guy for the last almost three seasons. And whether that's out of the backfield in the screen game or just handing him the ball, he's their most explosive player, and he gives them that added dimension that they haven't had running or throwing in a while. No, you're, 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 you're right. You, it's it's weird that, um, given how well Ohio State's recruited nearly everywhere else, that this is is the big playmaker at this point. You would have hoped maybe that some of this would have come from players who are a little bit older, but you take it where you get it. Let me ask you this, and we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, I feel like on paper this is the weakest uh, schedule in terms of like a national college football slate yet, and and that's always a dangerous thing to say because that's typically when the actual good games are or when weirdness happens. But we got the the Buckeyes are at noon, and that's the same time as NC State, Florida State, which for my money is is the most interesting other game that's happening early. Houston, Texas Tech is interesting. We're not going to be watching that either. What else are you interested in uh, on Saturday, or is this a, is this a day where you watch the Ohio State game until it's a blowout, and then you you do take care of your familial responsibilities? I am fully invested in this Saturday, and, and I'll tell you why. I got a list of about eight or nine games oh, okay. here, and it's it starts with Florida State. They haven't played in what three weeks now, and they're going to have a new quarterback. I'm interested to see how that offense looks. Not only coming off the rust of not playing in a couple weeks, but Going up against a very good NC State defensive line, I don't think Florida State will lose, but I want to see how they look against that front for NC State. AM Arkansas is a game that I think takes the uh, the Matt Online Game of the Week trophy 
depending on who loses because A&M's already in a state of disarray. And Arkansas, I think, quietly hasn't gotten off to uh, uh, as good of a start as they should have. So I'm interested to see those two games early on. What do you, what do you think about either of those? Yeah, I, you know, Arkansas is in this really weird place right now because they owe Bielema so much stinking money that they really can't, you know, barring some kind of scandal, like they're, they're really stuck with Burt, not just for this season, but I think for next year as well. And, and I think that the honeymoon now is starting to end as, uh, especially in the beginning of the year, Arkansas has continued to struggle a little bit. Um, I don't really see how things at A&M end well when you have regents that are publicly calling for your ouster. And we've got, a, we've got some reporting for estimation.com that we're, we're, that we're looking at there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I'm gonna I'm gonna be at the office, so I'll have one of those games on the on the second television. It's, it's the rest of the rest of the day. There's a couple. There's a few intriguing 3:30 games. So th- I think that the primetime slate is really not very good. Um, th- this 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 is a, a good candidate, I think, to maybe go to bed go to bed a little bit early or go out to the bars and, and, and not worry so much. But at 3:30, a couple of things here, friends, for your in- interest. The the big game. Uh, TCU and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's really, really good. They're fun to watch because they throw the ball a gajillion times a, uh, a game and they score in a bunch of different ways. This is the best team that they've played after just myrtleizing um, Pitt. Poor Pitt. Yeah, poor. Well, sh- sure. <laughs> poor, poor, <laughs> poor, poor Pitt. But the, there's two other games here that are, I think are sneaky interesting. Um, there is USC playing at a way better than we expected Cal. Uh, a Cal team who has now knocked off two Power Five opponents. Um, you know, granted they're North Carolina and Ole Miss, and both those have some questions. But their 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 fundamentals on defense are so much better than they've been over the past couple of seasons. And USC started slowly the past couple of games. Like this, this is a good candidate for a um, maybe a trap game potentially for the Trojans. And the, the same situation here for Toledo at Miami. Miami hasn't played in a couple of weeks. They're back. Uh, they've got a really fun defense. They're hosting a very good Toledo squad. I think Miami's going to win, but that's definitely something where you might flip around and say, oh, what? It's it's a four-point game with seven minutes to go. Like, what's going on? That th- Those two things are interesting. And then, of course, the most important Big Ten game of the day outside of Ohio State, Michigan at Purdue. That's so crazy to say. I'm, 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 I'm legitimately not being sarcastic. So just as a quick breakdown – because I'm looking at this game and I've watched Michigan these first three weeks and the offense has been less than it's like you Ohio state fans want to complain about the offense here. Michigan fans are right there with you. Wilton Spate has been bad. Now Tariq black is out with an injury there star freshman receiver, and they just can't seem to get things going. So Purdue looks great last week against Missouri. The offense got a ton of love, but the defense held Missouri's offense to three points. Michigan's a 10-point favorite. How are you feeling about this game? Yeah, I think Michigan's going to win, but I do think they're going to sweat it a little bit. And it's it's Purdue is so much more fun. They have shown this willingness to just completely empty their playbook and try a bunch of weird stuff. And you're going to have to do that if you're going to move the ball against this Michigan defense. They spread the they spread the field uh, with with their with their passing game. They've done some interesting things with tempo. My my worry here is I feel like. Michigan's front seven is still really, really, really good, despite being young. But you might be able to beat them by taking the top off of them. And this is going to be you know, a, a difficult thing for Ohio State, too. I don't. Purdue doesn't really have that vertical passing game right now, either. 
Um, it, it is kind of a strength versus strength sort of situation here. Michigan's offense looks worse than Ohio State's. You're right. Like it, it's it's young everywhere except for quarterback and and Wilton Spates. You kind of kind of is what he is. I think that they're going to get better over the course of the season. But it's gonna. I, I'm really happy for Purdue fans because they have not had a reason to just like sell out their home stadium and be really excited and like they think they can win this game and that we haven't had that at Ross Aid in like six years. I imagine Michigan's probably still going to win by like 10 or 13 points, but we're going to learn a lot about Michigan and we're going to learn a lot, learn a lot about Purdue. And I'm happy that they have picked themselves off the mat here. What a time. Last time Purdue beat Michigan was in 2009. They also beat him in 2008. What an era that was. But a couple other things that I'm interested to see before we get out of here. Alabama's offense versus Vanderbilt's defense. Alabama's been really one-dimensional this season, and Calvin Ridley's been their only true receiving threat and really their only wide receiver to do anything. So I, I want to see how they look against Derek Mason's defense. They played really well against K-State last week. Uh, Penn State-Iowa, just to see how Penn State plays in that environment, night game in uh, in Kinnick. So I think they'll win, and I don't think they should have any trouble, but that's always a tough place to play. We'll see Ohio State, I think, struggle there later in the season when they have to play. Uh, Rutgers-Nebraska, if only to see if Nebraska is capable of losing that game too after losing to Northern Illinois. If they, lo- if they lose that game, you have to fire Mike Riley immediately. I actually don't think that they're going to fire him at all because you have an athletic director who's really invested in Riley's success. Um, you're at a point where you know they might have to they might have to hire a new basketball coach too, and you know the cleaning house in their athletic department completely all at once is a little bit risky. Um, and they have a they have some good recruiting classes coming in, um, but this year's team is bad. They don't have an offensive identity. Their secondary is atrocious. They're transitioning, uh, you know, from a th- from three, four, and four, three, and everything, and uh, they're still a lot better than Rutgers. But boy, howdy! Like if they if they lose there, you have to make a change, like that day. Last thing, if you're interested in some Pac-12 after dark, there is some late late night, depending on where you live. Pac-12, Washington at Colorado. I'll be at that game. It's an eight o'clock local kickoff, so ten if you're on the East Coast. I am not really looking forward to this because I think that Washington's going to destroy CU much like they did last year. CU's offense isn't quite what I thought it would be this year, but Washington's also looked a little bit shaky. The the only thing that I don't want CU to do is punt to Dante Pettis. I don't know why teams keep doing that because he keeps returning him for touchdowns. But if you're interested in any uh, very late-night Pac-12 after dark, Washington and CU is going to be your jam. I will probably not watch that, but maybe for some of you, you may. And and that could, you know, it, it, it could be interesting. Lastly, before we get out of here, we asked you guys on Twitter today what things that you were most interested to see from Ohio State and want to get your responses here on the show. So we had a tweet from Evan Razor at E underscore Ray7. He said, receivers creating separation, JT connecting in the vertical passing game. That was something we talked about. If you're looking for vertical passing, this team may, 2017 Ohio State may not be your jam, but if they're able to have some success with play action, maybe that's something we see later on in the season. Jordan Steele at the Jordan Steele wants J.K. Dobbins to get 20 carries. That's something I think that everybody can agree on. Andrew Ardle at Andrew Ardle says improved linebacker play, something we talked about earlier. will be interesting to see how much tough Borland plays if Jerome Baker can improve and then what, if anything, Ohio State can get from that other outside linebacker spot. Craig James said a 30-plus 
point win. And my last question for you, Matt, since we haven't really predicted the game, what do you think is is the most likely outcome for this one? I think Ohio State wins by 30. Give me like Ohio State 45, UNLV, you know, 13, 14, some, something, something in that in that category here. Buckeyes get off to a fast start. Um, Rebels score, you know, once or twice in the second quarter, and then the Ohio State's depth just buries them. I think you're on the right track, and I, I think that this is going to be Ohio State's most impressive win of the season, at least in terms of raw points, and I'll go somewhere along the lines of 52 to 17. You're going to see Ohio State with the ball a lot in this game. It's I think that they would have scored 50-plus points if Army didn't hold on to the ball last week, so you'll kind of see more of what they were able to do offensively last week against UNLV. Dobbins has a big game. JT Barrett gets a lot of yards after catch from the receivers. Defense plays well. UNLV maybe gets on a garbage touchdown. They win 52-17. to 17. We want to thank you guys for interacting with the show. Make sure to do so by sending us a tweet at LandGrant33. You can also send me a tweet by telling me what you think about the show or anything else Ohio State related at Dubsco. Matt, where can they find you? I'm at MattSVN on Twitter. You can shoot me an email, Matt.Brown at SBNation.com. And you can buy my book about weird college football what-if questions. It's called What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions. It's on Amazon, it's on Kindle, and it's in my Twitter bio. Make sure to buy Matt's book. It is phenomenal. I've already read it. I wouldn't lie to you guys. It's a great book. Also, make sure to visit the site, landgrantholyland.com, and find the show, soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland, or on Apple Podcasts by searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. That's probably a good place to wrap up. We want to thank you guys for listening to the show. Hope you guys enjoy the game Saturday and you have a good weekend. For Matt Brown, I'm Colton Denning. The spot was good, and go Bucks.